you know, we all carry that medicine within us. We all have it. We have medicine for our own healing. We have medicine for the healing of others. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast. It's me, Amber Magnolia Hill, and this is episode 21. Today I'm talking to botanical bruja Lola Venado. We talk about being the daughter of a secret witch and becoming a botanical bruja years after the mother passed and the chance to learn from her was gone. Racism, secrecy, lineage, and cultural evolution. Following the breadcrumbs to get a bigger picture of who your people were. There are more holes than solid information in all of our lineages. Uh, Letting your silvers shine, not dyeing your hair, which is a choice that I am making and that Lola is having to um, unmake her previous choice to dye her hair. Uh, Locating yourself within the myths of your ancestors, being empowered to heal yourself, listening to the understory, amplifying the voices of people of color within the worlds of herbalism, spirituality, and the creative arts. Comida es medicina. White flour is no one's ancestral food. (laughs) Uh, Most magic is mundane when women's knowing and or calling out injustice are labeled irrational. Oh, makes me so angry. And what white folks are learning and dismantling right now. I want to share a story, a story that's just been coming up for me lately, different conversations with people and with podcast interviewees, and it, um, it's an ancestral story for me as well. So this is, this story is about the rights, the W-R-I-G-H-T side of my family, who I've talked about a number of times on the podcast um, with Darla Antwine and with Kemi McBride and Lara Valeda Vesta, I shared the story of an ancestral dream I had in which the name Wright was literally on a scroll in my bones. And thinking about it, this side of my family, my father's mother's side, they really initiated me onto the ancestral path as well, my interest in them and my connection to them. And it's probably not too surprising um, because I was really close with my grandma until she passed four years ago this week. And I knew both of her parents as a kid. I was so lucky. I knew four of my great-grandparents as a kid. Um, I mean, one of them, my only memory of her is basically as she was dying. But, you know, I know that she came to visit me when I was born. and, um, And I remember her face. I have a sense of her. The other three grandparents were all on my dad's side, and these two, of course, uh, were married or a couple and didn't die until I was maybe seven, seven or eight, the, my great-grandpa, right? So, okay. But this story, let's flash forward about a decade after their deaths, and I'm in high school. I think it was my senior year. Uh, maybe even the summer after senior year, so 1999. And my sister, two years younger, Lacey, um, had gone out, and she was home late. She was out past curfew. And my mom worked swing shift at that time um, at Harrah's, dealing blackjack and roulette in South Lake Tahoe, where I grew up. 
And so she got off at two. And so we were all up because there was like this extra energy of Lacey being late and mom getting home late and all that. And yeah, it probably was summertime. So Lacey finally came home. I don't remember when. She was late. She got in trouble somehow, but it wasn't a big scene. My parents weren't really like that. And what ended up happening was that the four of us sat in the living room talking until dawn. And it was really, really special. It was just like time outside of time, you know, one of those moments. Um, And, you know, I'm thinking about it at that point in our lives I was about to leave home. My parents divorced a few years later. Um, We were all just living really separate lives. We didn't spend a lot of time together in one room. You know, mom was at work when it was dinner time, and they worked opposite shifts, so someone could always be home with us. And, um, you know, we went and visited my grandparents, the grandma I'm talking about, a couple times a year. And we we spent time together when we left (laughs) Lake Tahoe. But other than that, not a lot of time was being spent together in the home like that. And it was just really special. And I'm so glad that night happened because my dad told us two stories that night that I've never forgotten. And uh, the second one, especially because it has more to do with him. But the first one I thought was interesting too to share. And that is about his, my dad's uh, aunt, Jenny. So my grandma's younger sister, we called her grandma, Jenny. And Grandma Jenny was in two car accidents when she was a teenager, I think in the late 50s, early 60s. And she was paralyzed. She was in a wheelchair for the rest of her life, the whole time I knew her, of course. Um, And she died when I was 10. And and my dad told us the story that his mother had told him, which was the day after Jenny passed, my grandma got a call from one of Jenny's good friends, you know, someone they had all grown up with. And how are you doing, Inez? And my grandma said, oh, you know, I'm pretty good, but I um, I have to tell you that Jenny died yesterday. And this woman said, I know. And when my grandma asked her how she knew, she said, well, ever since my mom died, I she visits me in dreams every now and then. And she visited me in a dream last night, and she was talking to me. And in the middle of her sentence, she stopped and said, Jenny's here, and then kept talking. And I had never heard a story like that before. Um, Of course, I thought it was pretty cool, but I was especially struck by the fact that my dad was struck by it. Um, He always just seemed like so linear and rational and logical and, you know, only what you can see with your senses is real. And I, I just was really amazed that he believed that story and that it stuck with him and that he shared it with us. And so then I was very surprised by the next story, although now looking back at who I know he is more, um, I see, I I can see how this, how this experience happened to him. And so this story has to do with his grandpa, my great grandpa, his name was Louis Zelger Wright, Z-E-L-G-A-R. And yeah, I think I was about eight when he died. And so my dad was home that day. He was off work. Me and Lacey were probably at school, and my mom was out of the house, too. And he knew that his grandpa, who he had been very close to, was near the end. And he said he just couldn't sit still, and he was just pacing the house and couldn't focus on watching the TV even. And he finally went outside and did a few laps around the house and then came back in and sat down on his bed. 
And he said this wave of peace just washed over him in that moment. And he looked at the clock because he is a very linear and logical person. And he always pays attention to dates and times. And I mean, he used to keep the most meticulous calendar and he would write important dates on it and then rewrite them every year. Like the first day he never saw me the first time when I was a baby and my mom took me to her mom's house for the day. He wrote Black Amber Sunday on the calendar. And then the first day that my mom took my little sister and me away to visit her mom for the day, he wrote Black Lacy Tuesday because it was the first day he never saw us for the whole day. And he rewrote those every year on the calendar. So he's very kind of fixated on keeping time in that way. Um, and so about a week after that experience, he was at his grandpa's funeral. I was there too. I remember it. And he was standing next to Grandma Jenny. This was a couple years before she died. Um, she was in her wheelchair and someone walked up to them and they were talking. And somehow this person said something along the lines of, oh yeah, what, what day did your dad pass? And Jenny said, last Friday or whatever. And my dad said, at 3.23 p.m. And Jenny looked at him and said, how how did you know that? That that's what the death certificate says. And and that was how was that that moment of peace that he felt. And so, and I have to say, I've never heard stories like that from my dad since then. But what I have learned about him since then, because I've learned it about myself, is that he is a highly sensitive person or an empath. And I think this has so much to do with why he's an alcoholic, a severe, severe alcoholic. Um, because, you know, his generation and men, younger men now too, of course, just the way that we define masculinity in our culture, it's hard. It's hard to pick up on extra sensory information um, for anyone in this culture, but especially for males. And I mean, alcohol is deeply embedded in his ancestry as well, his other line, his father's line. But I think that being so sensitive is part of why he drinks so much. And I think too, like, what if he hadn't? What if he never drank? Um, what if he didn't go down this road of alcoholism? What if he'd made a different choice or alcohol didn't exist or something? And like, and those gifts had been um, cultivated in him, recognized by his culture. Like what else what else would he have known? What, what other experiences would he have had? What sort of magic could we have shared together as father-daughter? And um, I mean, my sister, my sister's basically psychic. I don't really like to use that word. I've just, I don't know, have bad connotations with it. But she is also really, really picks up on things that I definitely don't pick up on, even though I am also a very highly sensitive person and um, just kind of know things without knowing them. But I've never had the kind of experiences that my dad and my sister have. So I don't know. I just wanted to share that story. I just had it in my heart today, and I really wanted to speak it. So thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you to my right ancestors who I do talk to and, I don't know, pray to, open the door of communication with um, quite frequently. So today... Um, oh, it just feels really good to have talked about them. Um, you know, this kind of ties into, in, in this interview with Lola, when I was re-listening to it, I noticed that I say like, oh, I don't like the word spiritual. I have a hard time with that word. And I wanted to kind of um, speak about why I have a hard time with that word. 
I'm sure a lot of you get it. You know, it's kind of a charged and weighted word. Um, but for me, it has a lot to do with where I live, which is in the Nevada City area of Northern California. And if you've been here or know of it, then you probably know exactly what I mean. It's like a super new age community. And not everyone, of course, not all of it is like that. Um, there's also a really strong, like conservative white faction of older folk here. Um, but then there's a lot of just like young hippies, burners, and just new agey types. And I've just seen so much spiritual bullshit in this community and in like my larger online community as well. And it's just, it's really hard to use that word for me without thinking of how abused that concept can be by certain people who have not done any of the work who are not truly tuned into themselves in any way, um, which to me, I guess, is kind of like the definition of of being a spiritual person is just knowing yourself deeply. Um, that that reminds me, actually, I have a quote written down here because I thought it was really relevant to the podcast. It just happens to be on this screen that's in front of me right now on my computer, and it's it's by Mister Rogers, and um, he says. You rarely have time for everything you want in this life, so you need to make choices. And hopefully your choices can come from a deep sense of who you are. Um, And, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. That's what I am trying to do with this podcast is help my listeners, give them the encouragement. Tell them, tell you that it is a worthwhile endeavor to figure out who you are in the depths of you. It's worth it to follow the mythic threads that call to your soul to know who you are, to know who you are. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the Patreon offering available to go with today's interview with Lola, and I will give you her bio coming up soon. Um, It's a really beautiful, well done. It inspires me to learn how to do this kind of thing. Um, PDF booklet called Comida Es Medicina. And there are five recipes in here. And I can't wait to make the first one because I'm a big fan of beans. I love eating beans. I love all sorts of Mexican flavorings on beans as well. Um, so on page one, Lola writes, food is one of the most potent forms of medicine and magic we can craft for ourselves and others, offering a nourishing balm for body and soul. It builds community and fosters a deeper sense of self. There we are again. When we connect with our ancestral foods, these recipes contain the foodstuffs from which my bones were built from my ancestors to me, from me to you. Um, so I want to say, and I say this in the interview, I, I didn't know we were going to get into food. And I didn't know that in the last interview with Cami either. And it's really interesting to me now that this is four interviews in a row that focus on food. And actually the next one does too, because I've already recorded it. And on ancestral food, especially. And this is just a message I really needed to hear. Um, and still need to keep hearing and reminding myself of Um, so these recipes real quick are slow cooker, Mexican beans, easy pickled vegetables. Oh, the photo for that is gorgeous. Um, amaranth cacao bites. Yum. Atole de, oh, I was going to read the English ones. Sorry, you guys. Um, amaranth and peanut atole. 
I even had to look up how to pronounce atole. Um, and peanut milk and flour. These all look so good. Okay, so that is for patrons of the podcast at the $2 level, and it's available at medicinestories.com. No, patreon.com slash medicinestories. And I wanted to um, remind you, too, if you're already on Patreon or if you're not but you think you want to be, that episode 19 guest, Darla Antwine, she has a coupon code that's available there also on Patreon for you to get, I believe it's 20% off. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's 20% off um, ancestral healing session with her. And they're wonderful. Listen to that episode if you haven't yet. And then you could head over to patreon.com slash medicine stories and scroll down to the post from June 26th, my sister's birthday, and you can get that coupon code and it will work until August 31st. So since there's still lots of time on that, I wanted to mention it. Um, and one last piece of business here is that um, we have updated the Mythic Medicinals shop online. <laughs> Finally, there's still a few medicines that are still steeping and being made, but we now have um, St. John's Wort oil available. And if you go to the website and it's sold out, because it might be in a couple days, it's going to be restocked again very, very soon, like within a few days of you listening to this probably. And... Um, Oh, the Queen of Heaven and Earth breast oil, which sold out so fast last year. So we made three times as much this year. It's made with um, rose petals, dandelion blossoms, and violet leaves. And this year I added pure organic rose essential oil just for the sensuous experience, the sensual experience of smelling roses as you rub this oil onto your breast tissue, also works beautifully on the womb and belly tissue. Um, and you can rub it anywhere. You know, it's just these, these plants are specific to those tissues and to dissolving hardnesses and blockages. But I think of it more as a ritual use, you know, especially as a breastfeeding mom. I love using this oil and it's really just I feel very happy with this addition of the rose essential oil I never use essential oils in my medicine um, you know I do kind of vibe with Susan Weed's concept of essential oils as the white flower of herbalism um, especially with oils you want to infuse whole plants into your carrier oil to get the full spectrum of medicine from them not just the tiny little you know snippet of essential oil which is just one small part of the whole plant medicine but just having it in there for scent purposes, it truly is heavenly. It truly is divine. And I hope that you will use that oil if you get some to honor yourself and the amazing powers of the female body. Um, oh, we also made a surprise batch of extra potent elderberry elixir. We usually only do it in the fall and winter, but we've had some illness in our house and we wanted some for ourselves because we ran out really quickly. Um, and so we made a whole batch, and those are listed right now. They always sell out quickly, too, but as of this recording, there's still plenty left. So that's all at uh, mythicmedicine.love. And, okay, let me give you Lola's bio real quick. Uh, born with river blood, magic bones, and a moonlit heart. I can attest to all that. That sounds just like her. Lola Venado is a botanical bruja, 
word forager and gatherer of dinner parties and moon circles. An ally to the wild sacred, she honors ancestral ritual, folk medicine, and story magic. When she's not traveling in her van to pray at the altars of forest, river, and ocean, Lola is cultivating everyday magic in the river city of Sacramento. And I want to add to this, we talk about this at the end, that Lola has a wonderful podcast called The Branch and Bone Medicine Show. And you should listen to it. (laughs) You should listen to us speak about it um, towards the end of this interview because I just, I love her vision behind it. I love what she has to say. And people are always asking in the Medicine Stories Facebook group for um, similar podcasts. And Lola's is a wonderful place to start if you're looking for something similar to what I'm doing here. So again, that's the Branch and Bone Medicine Show podcast, and she's specifically focusing on sharing the stories of people of color and others whose voices tend to go unheard. So without further ado, let's listen to this interview with Lola Venado. Hello, Lola. I'm so happy to have you today on the Medicine Stories podcast. Hi, Amber. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I was trying to remember how we met, and I think it was through Instagram. I'm pretty sure. I think, actually, I think I want to credit um, Miss Mila Mm -hmm. um, uh, because, well, okay. Let's start with Kit Kit Dizzy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the shop there in Nevada City, um, because I was following them because I had um, discovered their shop um, a few years back when I was dating a guy who lived in Grass Valley, and he took me to Nevada City, and that was the first time I had been there. And I came across that shop and thought it was wonderful, and so then I started following them on Instagram, and there was an announcement made uh, saying that Milo was going to be there. Um, it was uh, right around a Halloween and it she was, was doing tarot readings. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I got a reading from Mila and we got to meet and that was how our relationship developed. And then I think it was through her, um, Instagram that I found you and we connected in that way too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I, that that meeting in person was actually the first and then the Instagram connection came later. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So that's how that happened. Yeah. Thanks Instagram. Yeah, and Kit Kidizzy, which yes. anyone who's ever visits Nevada City or Grass Valley, you got to you got to go in there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's uh the one place I have to, you know, stop into when I go there. Um so, yeah. And now here we are. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I I went to a class that you did on smoke, mm-hmm. smoke medicine when I was pregnant mm-hmm. about a year after yes. that. And I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I just went because I was so attracted to your work and loved everything that you were putting out there on Instagram. Um, but I kind of thought like, well, what more can I know about you know, mm-hmm. lighting herbs on fire. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but pretty, then, pretty no brainer, right? But you know? then you did. You just taught me so much and so simply. And entering your home, it was truly like entering the home of a bruja. It was 
Mm. All it was so magical, Lola. I still think about. Yeah. I know you moved out of that space, but I'm sure your new space is the yes. same. Yes. And yes. I love those old Sacramento houses so much. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think um, a couple. Well, a couple of the other uh, Nevada City Grass Valley ladies joined uh, Cassandra, Sister mm-hmm. Scorpio, yeah. and and my friend Cat Cat um, McClinton. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, a little. Uh, Nevada City Posse, um, yeah, ro- we all... rolling through Sacramento. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was for my um, Sacred Smoke, um, yes. you know, class and gathering. I hate calling them classes or workshops, you know, because mm-hmm. that just kind of like implies that I'm the all-knowing teacher, and um, I, I really don't like referring to my stuff in that way. That I, they're they're offerings, they're mm-hmm. gatherings, um, but you know, people get a a better idea when you label it as a workshop or a class. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a really lovely, um, gathering. And yes, this new home that I'm in is no different. I do hear the same thing when people walk in, it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah, it looks exactly how I imagined Mm -hmm. your home would look. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this is clearly a botanical burra lives here. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's start with with that with that term that you just used, and mm-hmm. um, tell me about that term. Tell us about your plant path. You you also said maybe you can tie this in that you've always known what you wanted to do since you were a young child. So, what is what is your path plant? What has your plant path been like? Um, okay, so botanical bruja is uh, just a moniker that I began using um, just as a way of referencing my heritage. Um, So just another way of saying like uh, green witch, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's because that's where most of how I work within my magic and medicine is all related to plants, you know, be that, you know, uh, we're talking you know, the, the usual what people think of, you know, like tinctures and, you know, and teas or, uh, you know, through food medicine, right? Food medicine and magic. Um, so that's where my, um, you know, my, my path lies. Um, and so not so much, uh, like others might work with, uh, divination, you know, tarot, um, you know, do a lot of, you know, candle magic, things like that. So that's why, um, you know, botanical, uh, bruja is, you know, my chosen, um, identifier and my plant path. Um, well, it's interesting. So when I was a a little girl, I, 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 I was, I always had like this, you know, kind of like connection with, the plants and the outside that was like the safe space right because I was this like really quiet little girl um didn't like all of the you know loud noises and bright lights and all the commotion and everything I didn't like attention you know being you know put upon me um and so now of course you know we know you know you're a highly sensitive person and what that means so back then it was just you know what's wrong with you and you know, I was a crybaby and, you know, all of these other things. Um, so I would, you know, wander away, like when we had big family, um, 
gatherings, uh, and it just got too overwhelming for me, I would wander away and find like some quiet like spot. Um, and a lot of the gatherings that we had were at uh, my family's house uh, on a farm in Madera, um, California. And so all of my, you know, my, my cousins and my tias and um, I would just, you know, slip away and find somewhere to like totally focus in on a plant. And I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just like, here is this place where I can focus my energy and block out everything else. So that was one aspect of it. My mother, um, she, she was very much a bruja. Um, and uh, so I grew up watching her do things with plant medicine. Um, I never saw her in connection with plants in the way that I was when I was younger, like, you know, kind of like engaging in conversation for lack of a better word. Um, but, you know, creating, uh, medicines, potions, um, you know, in the kitchen. And so there was that element that, you know, added to that too. Now I didn't know like what I wanted to do with that. And of course, as we get into, you know, like teenage years and all kinds of other things going on, all of that is kept put aside. Right. And that's not, um, and that's not really cultivated, you know, in most, you know, families or, you know, any kind of like, uh, social circles. And I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to be other. And so that kind of, that connection and that medicine kind of was put on the back burner, um, for a lot of years. Um, so it was really, I mean, this is a common story. I know of a lot of folks on the, uh, you know, plant medicine path. Uh, it was a crisis of health that really kind of like brought me back, um, snapped me back very quickly, very deeply into, um, you know, working with the plants. And so I guess I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do when I was young, but I just knew that it would be something not normal, you know, <laughs> That's, I didn't know, you know, specifically what that was going to look like exactly, but, you know, I mean, I was always a very creative child, you know, doing a lot of writing and photography, um, and food, food was always so important, you know, to me, um, in one way or another, there's like almost all photos of me as a, as a child, I have food in my mouth. It's, you know, ridiculous. <laughs> um, and I would put on little dinner parties, little tea parties, you know, in my yard and, you know, East side San Jose. And, you know, here's this little girl, you know, with all the little, you know, ragamuffin kids. And I'm just creating this experience, a pop-up, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so that's really kind of, you know, how that uh, came to be. Uh, what, what was your mother doing when she was engaging with plants and plant medicine? So my mom and now if, okay, so her, her mother is still living. Um, my mother uh, passed away um, in uh, 2000. So she, 
she died um, only at an age only two years older than I am right now. So she was very young. Mm -hmm. um, so, so like I said, if, if, if my grandma were to hear me talking about this, um, she would be very upset because she is still very indoctrinated and very old school Catholic. And, um, but my mother, I mean, she absolutely practiced and, you know, I was surrounded by all kinds of witchy stuff in our house and bookshelves full of just assorted different, you know, uh, esoteric books, um, which, you know, I would pull down and read and comprehend, you know, to some degree. Um, so, so my mother, I think, didn't have so much a connection to mm, the natural uh, workings, so like, you know, hands-on with the plants, so much as she was likely doing more like spell casting type of work. Mm -hmm. And I, I gained some more insight, a lot of insight about her and about what she did um, after she passed, because then people started to feel free to, to, to open up and share. So like my Thea's would tell me stories and my dad, because they had divorced when I was, um, very young. Um, and so he finally started opening up and telling me more about her and things that, you know, she did. And like, she would, uh, she cast stones, you know, uh, he remembers her collecting black and white stones, very specific stones and her asking him to create a, um, a deerskin pouch for her to, uh, hold these these stones in. and she would cast stones and read them um so you know it was a lot of these different kinds of things that i wasn't privy to and i i can understand why she didn't like reveal her whole self to me um you know it's it's tragic and it's a great loss because i think there's so much that could have been you know uh you know, gained, um, in doing that. But, you know, she's also coming from this place of where she didn't want to be other and she suffered from, you know, racism, you know, she was the, you know, uh, part of this large Mexican family of farm workers. And this is a time where, you know, that was really, you didn't want to be associated as, that type of a person, right? And so you want to, you know, uh, you know, integrate into, you know, what's considered acceptable and normal. Um, and that really carried through um, into her adulthood and into her parenting. And, you know, even to the point of where I got, you know, punished when I would begin speaking Spanish, um, you know, so her also not wanting to, you know, fully reveal her practice and whatever that looked like for her, um, I, I get, you know, I get it. Um, so it, I would say actually that I have a much deeper understanding and a connection with my mother now than when she was alive. Mm. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I mean, you must think, as I often do about my dead mother, like, oh, I I wish I could share this with her. I mm-hmm. wish we could talk about this right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and, you know, and that's what, you know, what would that look like now if she were here with me, you know, and here I am, you know, immersed in, you know, and, and still learning, you know, because I'm still unlearning and learning, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, so what would that look like if I had my mother, you know, here, and it's a whole new day and age, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, she, if she were here, she would be completely free to be all of who she is and all of her, you know, strangeness and her, you know, her, her magic. And, um, yeah, so it is, it absolutely is something that I think about a lot and, you know, it's, it's a loss. Um, but it also informs how I am with my, my son, um, because no matter, you know, he's 26, you know, he's, he's a grown adult. Um, but even if he doesn't understand what I'm doing or what I'm sharing with him, or if he thinks I'm ridiculous, the point is he knows about it. Right. And, that to me is very important because I don't want my son to discover who his mother was after I have passed. Mm-hmm. I want him to know me as I am here and now today and hopefully try and inform him of why I did the things that I did, you know, in the past, you know, so these are all, you know, conversations that I missed out on with my mother. So I really want to try and make sure that I have these conversations with with my son now. My most recent guest, Cammie McBride, the um, interview has not come out yet at the time we're speaking, but she said something about about that, about you never know what seed you plant in the mind of Mm -hmm. a child or someone else, even if they don't seem interested or like they're even Mm -hmm. listening at that time will sprout later. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I see, I see it in my son and, you know, and he likes to make fun of me and he, he jokes, you know, that I am, you know, my mother's daughter. And he says, you know, you tried for a lot of years, mom. He says, but there's no getting away from it. This is who you are. (laughs) And I tell him, I said, you just remember that apple. I'm the tree that you are, you know, (laughs) you are from. So, yeah, but, you know, he's young, he's a man, so it's a whole different, you know, experience for him. But I I anticipate, you know, there being some more mm, willingness to receive what is within his bloodline, um, probably once he starts entering into his 30s, you know, Mm -hmm. that's where things kind of start to, you know, shift, I think. Um, And I I cannot wait to have grandchildren because, oh, my gosh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I, I just, I just know, I know they're going to just be, yeah, they're going to be so me. Totally. They're going to love, love going to grandma's house. Yep. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So yeah. Yeah. uh, Cammie also talked about before we had started recording, she and I, we were talking about our children, her boys, 14, I mean, girls, almost 12, and how they just like roll their eyes at us. And, you Uh know, and she was and then I think during the conversation, she said something about like, this is why I I am teaching as many people as I can to change the culture so that then my teachings get reflected back to my child. 
Right. That is so smart. Yes. That's what I said. I like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a good point. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, Cammy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's interesting too that you and I both have lost our mothers, but have our maternal grandmothers still living. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel. I just feel so lucky to have to have that still in my life. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So I just had a thought though. I had to, this is, this is how terrible I am. I forget how old I am. Um, <laughs> let alone, uh, others. So my son is 27. He's not 26, as I said. So I, I, I lost a year there somewhere. But. Yeah. That happens when we hit <laughs> middle age, you know, we stop. It's funny. Cause actually, as you were saying that I was trying to remember how old my grandma is and I was like, she's 98. And I was like, Oh no, she's 96. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My grandmother is 85. She just turned 85. Um, so yeah, she is still very, very vibrant, very opinionated and very questioning. Um, (laughs) and you know, I have a lot of questions of her and every time she sees me, I think she feels like, Oh my God, what's she going (laughs) to ask me this time? You know? And, you know, she starts to kind of bristle up a little bit around, you know, certain, you know, things that I'm asking about the family and um, she isn't really, you know, that responsive, you know? And so when she does start to kind of like open up about something, I just let her kind of riff, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't interject and I don't try and lead. And so I, you know, can kind of glean some family history, you know, in that way. Um, But she was like when I got my DNA test results last year and um, I had some questions around that um, that I posed to her and specifically that so nothing none of my results were a surprise. Right. For the most part, it pretty much just kind of like indicated that both sides of my family knew what they were talking about. Great. OK, we are where from we're from where you say we are from. Um, but there was, uh, a, a segment of area in, um, Mexico, kind of the, uh, uh, Chiapas, uh, area, uh, you know, South, uh, Eastern, you know, Mexico that kind of surprised me because I didn't ever hear anything about our family, you know, being from that area of Mexico. Um, it was always, you know, from, uh, you know, we're primarily from the northern area of, you know, Mexico, you know, Sonora, Chihuahua, um, those areas. And so I asked her, I said, Grandma, you know, do you know about this, you know, the the Mayan, you know, uh, you know, history of your family, the bloodline, you know, was your grandmother, your great grandmother? And I don't know, mija. We never talked about these things and we never asked. So... <laughs> She pretty much kind of like shut me down. (laughs) And um, so the only information I can, you know, kind of like piece together from that is from one of my aunts who says that she saw a picture of my grandmother's grandmother. Um, And so she was a short, very short, very dark, um, Indian woman with long black braids and you know so 
that is very different from the other part of our family within, you know, Mexico that are of the Yaqui, um, you know, lineage because they're, you know, taller folks and they had a very different look to them. So that tells me that that is where that comes from, you know, that that Mayan ancestry, you know, comes from, you know, my grandmother's, you know, uh, you know, family line, as opposed to my grandfather's, uh, you know, her, her husband, um, you know, and his family ties. So, but it's been, you know, it's been interesting, you know, piecing together, following the breadcrumbs, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to kind of like get a picture of your people and yourself in turn, right? Yeah. Which, what test did you do that was so specific about the geographic location within Mexico? Um, I chose to use family tree DNA Mm -hmm. and I chose them because of their privacy policy Mm -hmm. Um, because it was very, um, it gave you more choice and it was very different um, than, you know, like ancestry.com or, you know, any of the other ones. And so that's why I chose that one Um, because, you know, something I think that, you know, I don't hear people talk about with, you know, their DNA testing, you know, discovering, you know, doing their ancestral you know, work to discover their family history is that, you know, there may sometimes be folks like me who don't necessarily feel it's safe to um, Mm. get into that Mm -hmm. um, and who it might bring out of the woodwork, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, that can open up a lot of, uh, it can open up a lot of things. And, um, and when there's not necessarily, um, the most savory of folks on either side of the family, um, sometimes that might just be best left alone. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like, what are you willing to give up in exchange for this knowledge? And I just haven't gotten to a point where I feel I need to go beyond, you know, what, what I've, what I've done, you know, and just showing kind of like the geographical, you know, location, um, you know, of, of my ancestry on both sides of my family. Do you know, uh, where your mother learned her practices? No. And I, I wonder you know, if it's, if it came through her grandmother, um, you know, her, you know, my, uh, you know, my grandmother's mother, um, because she was very close, um, to her. And so that is the only person who I know of that my mother was very close to. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, there's, you know, my, my grandfather, her dad, um, was, you know, I know my aunts and uncles, you know, talk about, you know, how he taught them how to do all of these, you know, unusual things. Um, and, but yeah, that's, I really don't have much to, to go off of that. And again, you know, these are like questions I could have, you know gotten answers from my mom, you know, about, um, so there's just a whole lot of, um, 
unknown. Yeah. 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 I think we're all working with, with those holes and there's maybe more of them than actual knowledge for most mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so speaking of all this, you mentioned these different um, myths, folk tales from your mm-hmm. ancestral traditions that you resonate with. And you mentioned mm-hmm. a number of them. So I uh, just, I'd love to hear about one or all of them or, you know, how they're, how they're presences in your life. Yeah. Well, you know, let's see. So I, I mainly, so first of all, let me just say that I mainly identify with my mother's lineage and culture. Um, So that is, you know, the, uh, you know, Mexican people. Um, And my father's side um, you know, European, Irish, uh, English, um, you know, American, uh, U.S. Uh, Southern folk. Uh, I don't, you know, talk about having even less information. I there's <laughs> even more holes um, in that family tree, and we didn't grow up with um, like stories or traditions even really, um, on that side of the family. Um, so, and it was my mother's family were the ones who I was with most of the time. And that was the culture that I grew up with, you know, the Mexican culture. Um, so I don't identify with any other kind of, uh, any other myth, uh, you know, history, uh, may I then mm-hmm. may I just interject that you you very clearly look like an indigenous woman like a Mexican woman like you embody that in your in your hair in your face in your stance I don't know there's just something you know it's interesting I've noticed with a lot of people like the lineage that we resonate with most tends to be the one that we like have the most physical gene expression mm. through mm. Well. interesting yeah Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, you say that because, you know, growing up, you know, being, you know, a mixed race, mixed culture uh, person, uh, no one ever really kind of knew what to do with me, right? Which is kind of, you know, the, which is the story of mixed race folk, you know, we're, we're, we're liminal, you know, we're neither here nor there. Um, So you're either too much of this or not enough of that. Um, so I'm light skinned, but no one ever has mistaken me for being white, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm clearly not white, but no one ever is able to kind of like really put their finger on it. Mm-hmm. Um, once in a while I will get someone who, will ask if I am, you know, Native American, or if I am Latina. And, um, and they're usually Native American or, you know, mm-hmm. Mexican themselves. Um, uh, and especially when I had my, my long hair, um, you know, wearing my hair and braids, that kind of was an indicator to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I have since, you know, I don't know if you've seen, you know, the recent photo of me. Oh my gosh, Amber. Yeah. I cut all my hair off. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's a whole other story. Yeah. It is like short, like all gone. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, so, which has been really interesting because for a while, I, I did this last month, um, I had, uh, I was reaching for phantom braids, you know, <laughs> so it's like, where are my braids? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, so it's different. So I, I don't intend to, I do intend to grow my hair back out. Um, but it was, so part of it was that I was trying to grow out my, my silvers and quit dyeing my hair. Oh. Um, and that's a process that is fraught with uh, just it, it's awful yes um, that's why I'm yeah. never gonna start dying I have plenty Do of silvers not. and I'm yes. just gonna let them be yes yes so terrible <laughs> um so it was it was part of that and then um when I had my hairdresser friend trim my hair which was kind of a big deal because I like hadn't been cutting my hair for a long time and she took a couple inches off and that really kind of set it into motion for me where I was like, oh, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to let all of this hair go. And it was it it was something that was, you know, I, I felt I identified that hair, that long, dark hair, those braids with the past three shitty relationships I've been in. Mm-hmm. Right. And. And also part of that was that these men um, honestly kind of have a Latina fetish. Mm. And so I was really just wanting to remove that energy from my hair and start over and, you know, just kind of, you know, release that. And, um, you know, of course, there's the whole, you know, Native American, you know, tradition of, you know, cutting your hair when you're. Um, you know, when there's a loss, when you're mourning, um, you know, the death um, of a loved one. And so, yeah, so it was really kind of this big, big transformative experience. And I'm so glad I finally did it. And <laughs> but yeah, it, t- it takes people, um, uh, it, it shocks folks when they see it. And they're like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm looking at do? the photo now. Oh. <laughs> It's crazy how a haircut makes such a different impression. Yeah. Yeah. And you got a little blonde in there. Yeah. So, you know, that was part of the blending in the silver plan, Mm -hmm. you know, is to (laughs) bring the highlights to try and eradicate some of the the rest of the dye. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that's what's (laughs) that's what's going on there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I'd like to think that that, you know, it was not my braids that, you know, made up my personification of my heritage, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, but I think you're right. I think it is, um, there's something about how someone carries himself, how mm, the intonation in their speech, um, yeah, there's there's all of those things that you can really kind of like look at and see, oh, this person is clearly of this or clearly not of that at least mm-hmm. you know so yeah yeah um you've, I mean you've got a powerful look like if if I didn't know you if I saw you on the street I'd be like who's she she looks cool she looks interesting I bet she has something to teach me but I bet you wouldn't walk up to me right well I don't <laughs> walk up to people so <laughs> 
Because that's the thing. Because I have, you know, what I call like the resting bruja face, right? Yeah. Well, you're so. on your website, your about page. This photo of you is so fucking fabulous. I love it. So <laughs> this face. Yeah. I wouldn't walk up to that woman if she was looking at me like that. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm always like, why does anyone want to talk to me? <laughs> yeah. But that was that was definitely inherited from my mother. Um, and actually, my, my son carries the same face and the same, you know, experience. And, you know, why are you mad? I'm not mad. What are you talking about? You know? Um, but yeah, we definitely, you know, come from a, a line of warriors. And um that actually ties into one of the um, the myths, mm -hmm. uh, the Yaki talking tree prophecy. Um, so uh, my Yaki um, Indian uh, lineage is from my mother's father's uh, family. And so those are folks who are from kind of like the northern region of, you know, Mexico. Uh, you know, like I had said, you know, Sonora, Chihuahua. Um, and so... That is a tribe of folks who are known to be warriors and they, and also they are uh, generally um, considered tall for, uh, you know, Mexican Indians. And uh, they really put up a hell of a fight when the Spanish came and uh they fought longer and harder than, you know, any of the other, you know, tribes. Um, uh, but so the, the creation story um, of how the Yaki people came to be uh, is through the talking tree. And so the, the Yaki weren't people yet. They weren't these, you know, Indian warrior people yet. They were the Surim uh, people. And, uh, and I don't know if I'm even saying that right, because again, this is something that has been lost. You know, this is a story that hasn't been passed down to me from, you know, grandparents, or maybe it's Surim, Surim, I don't know. Um, so that's a whole aside. Uh, so these were quiet, tiny, peaceful creatures um, they didn't like loud noises. They didn't like bright lights. Um, they just lived this very calm, you know, existence. Um, so essentially just this, you know, tribe of highly sensitive people, right? Um, well, one day they noticed a bunch of noise coming from a tree. And I think it was a, uh, I think specifically it was a Palo Verde tree, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but anyway, yeah, there was this tree. Um, and so it was, it sounded like it was speaking, but they couldn't understand it. And so everyone would gather around this, you know, tree and, you know, they were just baffled. And then there was this one little girl who was, you know, like telling her, you know, her parents, you know, uh, you know, I can, I, I know what the tree is saying. And they, you know, disregarded her, of course. And, you know, she was persistent. And finally, they're like, okay, but don't you shame us, you know. <laughs> and so sure enough, she went and sat with this tree. And the tree relayed this prophecy. And the tree told her 
of the white men that would be coming with their killing machines and with their, um, you know, their, the railroad and all of these other, you know, things she was, you know, know, getting all this information from, from this tree. And so the tree said, your people have a choice. You can stay or leave. Um, And if you choose to leave this area, then you will, you know, no longer be a part of this existence. And so it said that the ones that chose to stay, or rather to leave, they moved off into the ocean and deeper into the woods. So the Surim are kind of like the, the little people of so many other cultures. Um, so it's said that you can still speak to them uh, you know, when you're at the ocean, when you're in the woods, uh, you know, so they are the little people. Now, the ones who chose to stay um, were transformed into tall warriors, and they're the Yaki um, who came from the Surim, and they are the ones who ultimately established, you know, the Yaki tribe and became the warriors to fight away the Spaniards, and that is the, uh, you know, the bloodline lineage um, that came to be. So that's that story. Mm, that's beautiful. I love, um, the, like how our people came to be stories. Mm-hmm. They're always mm-hmm. so rich. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and it's, it's just, uh, you know, kind of interesting, you know, to think about, you know, our choices and how those inform our experience you know, Mm -hmm. and so I just have to consider that really I am from both, both the Surim and the Yaki um, are within me. So I hold, you know, the magic and medicine of the little people Mm -hmm. um, as well as the warrior. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's beautiful. I love that you can carry that that knowing about yourself from this ancestral story. And, you know, it really makes a lot of sense because when, you know, I apply that, you know, story to my, my life, my experience, that's, yes, that's a hundred percent. You know, I am a quiet, peaceful earth and ocean connected being um, that speaks uh, to, you know, to, that speaks to these, you know, elements of the natural world. And I am also, I definitely have warrior blood. I am a fighter. Um, I, you know, I'm an advocate. Um, and that has been something that has been clearly demonstrated to me um, in my family. Um, on my mom's side, um, with each generation, um, the fights, the different fights that, you know, uh, each generation has had to, you know, go through and, um, and my own experience. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to quote you from the opening episode of your podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Branch and Bone Medicine Show. Mm-hmm. That's the name, yes. 
So I loved your definition of medicine, medicine with a capital M to distinguish it from this idea so many folks have of pharmaceuticals or even um, using herbs allopathically, as you say, mm-hmm. take this for that. Um, so to, to be distinguished from that kind of medicine, you, you call, you define medicine with a capital M as a deep nourishment, which serves to support us in our innate ability to self heal and heal each other. And as reciprocal honoring connections with everything around us, plants, stones, water, earth, sky, animals, music, song, art, writing, movement, touch. And you say we all carry this medicine within us. It is both ancient and accessible. Mm-hmm. I think you nailed it, Lola. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I did it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's as simple and as complex as that, Amber. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, that's something that I really, you know, always try to impart, you know, to folks I'm in conversation with, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, someone I'm seeing as a client or, you know, just any other, you know, conversation that I'm having, um, around, you know, healing or herbalism or whatever, you know, the, the spiritual conversation may be, um, because I really am disheartened by the, the separation that I see happening um, a lot where people feel they have to seek outside of themselves um, for medicine, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, w- so that's why it's really important for me to, you know, kind of like push that point is, you know, we all carry that medicine within us. We all have it. You know, we have medicine um, for our own healing. We have medicine for the healing of others. You know, um, so, you know, even like the, the, the term, like if someone, you know, refers to me as a, a healer, um, yeah, I, I get it. It's shorthand, right? Because our, our language is so clumsy. So oftentimes we have to, you know, use these labels and, you know, it's okay, great. Now I kind of have an idea of what, what you do or, or, you know, your particular ethos now based on this one word, um, But, you know, when I see someone, if someone comes to me for whatever, you know, kind of, you know, assistance they're seeking, I make it clear that I am not your healer. You are your healer. I am a, you know, I'm a co-facilitator here, you know, and, and honestly, Amber, not everyone wants to hear that. Mm -hmm. And there's some folks who don't come back to me Um, because what they want is someone when they're asking for help, sometimes what someone is really asking is for you to do it for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes folks are not in a place. They're not ready to acknowledge their own power and, so that's why they will turn to someone who will kind of like do it for them, so to speak. Right. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We're just so many folks in this culture are so disempowered around their mm-hmm. own health. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, so many don't want to be, they, it's just so much easier to know, like, well, if something comes up, I'll just go to the doctor. Like, mm-hmm. why would I spend any of my time or energy learning how to heal myself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and even not even just turning, you know, to, you know, uh, you know, Western, you know, medicine, you know, doctors, but, um, you know, other types of, you know, uh, herbalists or energy workers, you know, lots of people fall along the spectrum within, you know, those, those, uh, modalities of healing, right. Mm-hmm. And how they, how they work with people that they see. And so even within that, there are folks who will do it for you, you know, and I see that a lot with naturopaths, right? Um, so that to me isn't that far removed from, you know, being a physician. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they prescribe um, all of these supplements yes. and so many blood tests and mm-hmm. it's expensive and it requires you to always go back to them, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And I'm like, where is the, you're, you're, you're removing these people's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so great. I'm glad you're not using pharmaceuticals, but it it still looks the same to me. Mm -hmm. I've had that exact experience with naturopathic doctors, Mm. just like going to the regular doctor, but I got prescribed some very expensive supplements instead Mm -hmm. of a pharmaceutical and when I left, I was like, that, w- that wasn't healing in any way. You know, I mm-hmm. wasn't deeply listened to. I didn't get my whole story shared. There was, and it didn't help in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are some brilliant naturopaths. Um, oh, yeah. But I, for the most part, yeah, I, I almost feel like it's like a meaningless category. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's such a shame, you know. Um, but, uh yeah, so that's just kind of where I where I stand with that. I don't know how we got off on that tangent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard anyone else say that, so I felt excited to hear you say it. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, that you know, just noticing how deeply disempowered people are around their health is, mm-hmm. I think, something that motivates a lot of us who are working in herbalism, podcasting, all, you know, all Mm -hmm. sorts of Mm -hmm. the whole spectrum of modalities, as you said. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and that's, you know, that is, you know, my podcast, you know, as you know, with your own podcast, it, it has its own life and it has its own medicine that offers its own, you know, um, uh, you know, different elements that folks can extract from it. Um, for their own journey and their process, wherever they are, you know, uh, with that. And, you know, my podcast, you know, specifically, you know, highlighting and, uh, you know, amplifying the voices of people of color within, you know, the, the world of herbalism and spirituality and creative arts, because they are so often the folks who are, um, you know, overlooked within, you know, these circles and talk about, you know, a loss um, because these are the, you know, folks who have um, oftentimes they're very connected, you know, to this, you know, earth medicine and, you know, indigenous 
um, folk medicine healing ways. And they are kind of, you know, put aside, you know, because their voices aren't as loud or as, uh, as seen, they're not as seen, you know, as, you know, they're non, uh, people of color, you know, counterparts. Mm-hmm. You said so, that you are, you're t- giving a platform for the understories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, that part of the forest, right. That is, you know, so critical, you know, to the ecosystem of the entire forest. Um, and it's, you know, it's overshadowed by, you know, the, the canopy of the, you know, the tall, you know, obvious, you know, trees that take up the most space. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so people of color, they haven't been allowed to take up as much space, you know, as, you know, white folks, um, within these same, within these same circles and white folks who are utilizing the medicine of people of color Mm -hmm. and repackaging it and selling it as their own, you know, all too often without reverence, um, for where this medicine came from. So that's the disheartening part, you know, because it's not so much about us, you know, all not being able to share in each other's, you know, culture and, you know, medicines, you know, because that's beautiful. And that's how, you know, we, we develop and grow, you know, further from, you know, what each of us knows individually. Um, But it's when it is being taken um, that, that is, you know, problem. And that's, you know, just, again, just another, you know, another uh, element of, you know, colonialism still at play um, even today. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad, so glad you're doing the podcast. When I first saw it, I think I stumbled upon it in iTunes. Um, Mm. Like if you had made an announcement, I hadn't seen it. And I was like, oh, yay, Lola, you know, and then I read the description (laughs) or listened to the first episode and I was like, yes. Okay. And like, I've got to get her on my podcast to talk about this. I'm going to read your description of it. Mm -hmm. You say this podcast is intended to serve as a connection and support to those whose medicine stories often go unheard and to be a platform dedicated to spotlighting and amplifying the underrepresented voices of multicultural people of color doing their work in the modern communities of herbalism, magic, or other healing and creative arts. These are stories shared with the intention of community building, cultivating interconnectedness, and honoring the offerings of these folks as the worthy works of resiliency and reclamation that they are. Mm-hmm. beautiful yeah <laughs> beautifully said yeah yeah it, it's it's really special when any of us um are reclaiming our our medicine heritage right um you know women especially but people of color even more so because that was part of what was taken away from us, um, you know, with, you know, colonization, um, you know, you remove people's religion, you remove their, their medicine. Um, and who are the medicine keepers, you know, historically the women, right. And so that's like a direct hit. And so when we start to, um, you know, 
damage the the structure of a culture's uh, women, then you're you're already great. Now you're well on your way to, you know, weakening the entire culture, and it's been pretty effective, you know. Um, so, so when I see more and more folks, um, black indigenous people of color, uh, reclaiming, reconnecting, uh, their, their ancestral magic and medicine, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Um, because it's so, so important, um, as part of, you know, for a lot of reasons, but as part of healing those ancestral traumas mm. that, you know, we carry. And, you know, and I think, too, maybe that's part of why, you know, food is also so important for me and my, you know, my ancestral, you know, foods and why I do believe, you know, comida es medicina, you know, because food is medicine in all of the ways. And one of the food is one of the things that most cultures still have been able to maintain um, and kind of like pass it under the radar as just, I'm just eating. Um, but when we kind of like really get into it and we really honor, you know, our ancestral foods, um, we're connecting deeper than that. And we are you know, connecting to ancestors and literally, you know, our ancestors, you know, with the plants. Um, but it's a way of remembering, you know, where we're from and staying connected to our people, you know, in that way. And what does that look like for you in practice? That in practice looks to me like um, making corn tortillas from scratch, right? Um, that looks like to me... Um, you know, creating, you know, foods and drinks that incorporate, um, you know, indigenous, uh, you know, foods and spices, um, things that, that some of the things that my grandmother, um, you know, used that she ate, that she prepared, but beyond that, because my grandmother was, is still very um, much, um, you know, she's still very much in that colonized mindset. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, thinking about what her mother prepared and what her mother and her mother and her mother and, you know, carrying that back. And so those are really important um, things for me to consider. And that was something that I thought of, gosh, what was it? Has it been now? Maybe two, two years, maybe longer when I went gluten-free uh, um, because that was part of my, my healing journey. Um, and I was so sad that gluten was a problem when I discovered it, you know, because I was eliminating things and then I was eliminating gluten. I was like, oh, no, that <laughs> does make a good difference. Darn it, you know. Um, but I really started to think about, 
well, that's not my ancestral food. White flour is not my ancestral food. And even if we're talking on my father's side, right? I mean, wheat was really not predominant, you know, wasn't predominant in use with, you know, the Irish folk, mm. you know? So well, and white flour was no one's ancestral food. No. That's a very recent no. invention. Right. So, you know, it was, it was, you know, corn. It was maize, you know, it was amaranth. Um, and, you know, so I especially like really like making, um, like I make these uh, little like chocolate treats. So it's, you know, chocolate mixed with popped amaranth and, mm. uh, you know, honey and, you know, cinnamon or, you know, different, you know, whatever you want to put into it like that. Um, uh, and so there are these little kind of like, mm, Gosh, I don't know how you would liken it. I guess kind of like granola bar type-ish, but these little squares, these little, you know, candy-like squares. And this is going way back, you know, to, you know, Aztec, you know, times where that would be um, mixed with blood of those who were being sacrificed and it was shared with everyone. And it actually, it, instead of it being, you know, put into a neat little pan, it was made into the shape of um, a human body. Um, so, you know, just you have to just kind of like really, you know, think about that. What here I am, you know, in this day and age, and I, I am honoring and giving reverence to my bloodline just in this very simple act of eating this traditional food and it's you know it's a it, it's a magical practice in and of itself you know because it brings in so much more than just oh this is a traditional food well this is a traditional food with a plant and with you know all of these different elements that were so revered by my long ago ancestors and how they related these foods to the gods and here I am doing the same thing today mm-hmm. that's interesting you're the third guest in the in a row where we've really dived into um, food medicine as ancestral remembrance and mm. I didn't plan that you know <laughs> just it, <laughs> it's so it's so cool to realize how how much this is rising in the collective consciousness mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. very much making me, you know, realize that it's something I should be paying more attention to as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I do. I, 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 I was just talking to somebody about that um, uh, recently about how, you know, different things will pop up, you know, and you know, with different people. And like you said, in the collective consciousness, and then it's kind of like, Oh, wow, okay, let's take a look at this, because this is clearly something that is, you know, asking to, to be seen, and, you know, to have a little more attention, you know, paid to it. Yeah, I love that. Oh, my gosh, it's so exciting. It is exciting, because um, as my episode 19 guest, Starla Antwine talked about, um, we're so food confused. I know I am food confused. You know, I read mm-hmm. so many different articles and books and 
diet plans and it just leaves me like my, my head spinning. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what's right for me? What should I be doing? What's good for you? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she pointed out that like eating your ancestral foods is really an antidote to that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one thing to kind of close, start closing up here. One thing that I'm really trying to do, I've realized recently with this podcast is, is let people know that, um, like being spiritual or I, I have such a problem with that word, but you know what I mean? Engaging mm-hmm. in ritual, um, reconnecting with yourself, your ancestors, the earth does not have to be this big, heavy thing. I like to say you don't have to, um, don a caftan to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to engage with the world in a, bigger way um Mm -hmm. so i really love that before we spoke you know i asked you about your dreams and any big like mystical experiences or transcendent experiences or things that have happened to Mm -hmm. you and you said like yes i've had prophetic dreams and Mm life-changing mystical experiences but they they're mundane and i was like yes yes they are mundane they can be mundane and um yeah so i just tell me about that yeah um, well, I mean, I think, you know, cause I have heard about people who've, you know, had these, um, you know, I guess these really like major kind of, you know, journeys, dreams, and they just kind of like woke up and they were like, oh my gosh, now I know, now I know what I'm going to do. I know the right answer. I've got, I've got, I've got it. It's on lock. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool. Um, I have not had that experience. Um, what I have had and do have, I have a lot of more subtle, mundane, I guess, um, experiences, you know, uh, daydreams, dream, you know, dreaming, um, whatever that looks like, where I will just get, it's like just all this, it's a knowing, right? It's like this clear cognizance. And it's a knowing of this isn't right, you know, or, you know, this I'll get, I mean, so I will get like pretty specific prophetic dreams sometimes. And I will see, um, yeah, well, like, okay. So like, or I have, I'll have a dream where somebody is pregnant by this man, and so then, you know, I, I have had this where it's like, okay, then I talk to this woman and okay, there's, there's this man who is trying to get you pregnant. And then what it turns out to be is he is trying to impregnate her with, uh, what he wants. And he is, you know, actively pursuing, um, trying to enter into her personal space and violate her and, you know, so it's, you know, it was this whole kind of like thing like that. Um, but what, what I've learned also, so, okay. So this also goes back to learning about folks after they have passed. So my dad's sister, his, the oldest sister passed away. And I remember some conversation around this years back, but it was all brought back after she passed. And then my dad, you know, and we, we all gathered, um, to, you know, prepare for her, her death. And, um, 
So she would talk to um, our ancestors. So she would talk to grandparents who have passed. um, And she would have dreams, like prophetic dreams. And, you know, I, I, so I asked my dad, I was like, so what, what is it like, you know, she gets this like big revelation, this like, he's like, no, you know, it's just like little stuff, you know, and things that don't seem like really important until, you know, you start to like, think about it and piece it together. And I'm like, oh, yes, I can relate to that. And then my dad, and then he's telling me, yeah, you know, like, I dreamt that, Um, Our neighbor was uh, pregnant and she was going to have a girl. And I told her and she said, well, I am pregnant and we haven't told anyone. And then she had a girl. And I was like, dad, why haven't you ever like shared these things with me? (laughs) (laughs) And it would kind of, you know, make it a lot easier knowing that you weren't alone and that there are people within your own family who have these same kind of experiences. And He was like, yeah, well, you know, just don't really think it's anything special. And, you know, and so just different things that he would start sharing with me over, you know, more recent years. um, It's been really revealing and helpful. And so, yeah, the the magic, mundane magic, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important for me, I've learned to answer the call when I get these certain types of, uh, you know, dreams, um, these things that are kind of like telling me what to do, what not to do. Um, And every time I have done that, every time I have honored that, it has been so helpful. And then oftentimes, you know, as dreams are, you forget them. And if I haven't, you know, answered the call, um, sometimes I'll remember, you know, you know, as time passes on and then I can look back and be like, oh my gosh, I had a dream that was telling me about this thing. Um, but I didn't respond and I forgot about it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how that happens with my dreams anyway. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we talk about dream work and, um, you know, people often talk about writing it down when you first wake up or speaking it into your phone. And mm-hmm. But a- another way to really cultivate a relationship with your dreams is to act on them, mm-hmm. as, as yeah. you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that has become, you know, uh, a, a greater practice of mine, you know, in really more of like just the past, I think, three years. Mm-hmm. And um, it has served me well. Mm-hmm. And I wish I'd done it sooner, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, and I think, too, as women, that kind of like speaks to how, you know, we're poo-pooed, you know, for, um, you know, well, for so many things, but we're made to feel like we're crazy or we're, you know, you know, whatever, we're being irrational about, you know, something we're overact- overreacting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really kind of like detaches us from our innate ability to connect with uh, what's, what's outside of just our own mental space, mm-hmm. you know? 
Right. To connect with our own inner guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just you saying, just you bringing up women being labeled as irrational. I've really been thinking about that lately and really being like, what the fuck? Like, seriously, most men that I know are more irrational than mm-hmm. the women that I know. And if you look back at like history and patriarchy, like war is the most irrational thing I can possibly imagine. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm feeling the fire in my blood right now as I talk about this, like mm-hmm. women being called irrational because we're intuitive, because we have emotional responses to things, because we call out injustice and, um, you know, oppression and just all manner of things when we see it, that's not irrational. And really, the more I think about like the behavior of men under patriarchy, you know, last few thousand years, the more I see that that is much more irrational behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, um, you know, and if, if I had, you know, when I don't honor, you know, my knowing, my claircognizance um, is it, it always winds up, you know, poorly. Uh, and uh, and I could have, you know, really saved myself, you know, some some crappy relationship issues if I had just, you know, honored that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think too, that's what happens is we often, you know, can get a really clear picture of, uh, you know, things beyond our immediate, you know, uh, you know, circle. Um, but when it comes to like our most intimate one-on-one relationships, it's kind of, uh, you know, things get a little blurry, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's where, you know, problems, you know, arise when we don't honor those same knowings that we have, you know, a little further out at arm's reach and beyond um, and apply that to things that are, you know, much closer to us. Right. So, yeah. So there again, just sharing, <laughs> teaching, spreading wisdom more throughout the culture so that we can maybe in some ideal future, all be holding the same, the same wisdom, the same ideals, the same, um, yeah, be able to reflect those things back to our brothers and sisters when they're hurting and they can't see what's right in front of them or what's going on in their lives. Right. Um, right. And I, I think I see that, you know, you saying that and I'm, I, I'm hopeful. Um, a, a lot of what I see is starting to happen now where, you know, white women in particular are um, starting to take ownership for their own, you know, uh, part in white supremacy and, um, and so really like hard conversations are being had and it's unpleasant for, you know, a lot of folks. And, um, but I think just like what you were saying, you know, sharing this and spreading it, you know, further is going to, you know, benefit, you know, everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a slow kind of like coming to, you know, that, you can, you can recognize, you know, these awful, horrible things within our society and we can make a change, you know, and part of that has to do with just acknowledging it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Speaking as a 100% European white woman, we are being schooled right now. And I'm really glad. Yeah. Yeah. And really, really grateful for, you know, the, because it is, it is white folks work, you know, to, you know, step into the, the front lines and start dismantling, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what has been built up, you know, all of these years and placing yourself um, in between, you know, the black indigenous people of color and, you know, the, the white supremacy, the patriarchy and, you know, all of that. Um, so I really, really, really am grateful for the folks that I see who are, you know, doing that. And, you know, and sometimes that doesn't look like a really big bombastic, you know, statement or, you know, activism takes on all kinds of different, you know, looks. And I think, you know, people can kind of, um, get confused by that, but, you know, the, the micro is just as important than, you know, the work that people are doing on the macro level or that people are seeing on the macro level, let's say, Mm -hmm. right? Because where, where are you individually going to make the biggest impact within your immediate circles, within your family, under your, your own roof, right? So that's where, you know, that shift is going to start occurring and rippling out. Mm. Yeah. Such a good point, Lola. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, we need to uh, wind up so I can get back to my nursling. But <laughs> please, um, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation and so much to, to really take in to my to my cells after this I really look forward to going back and listening to it and writing out my notes um and please tell people where they can find you um people can find me my main website is lolavenado.com that's v-e-n-a-d-o um and I am also on instagram at lolavenado um and then branch and bone um is kind of the umbrella under which my Botanica products, which I occasionally offer um, online, but they're usually just kind of like reserved from for people in my immediate community. Um, so you don't see a lot of that online anymore. Um, but uh, that is where the podcast is housed as well. So on Instagram, it's Branch and Bone. And then the website for the um, all of the podcast episodes that is housed at branch and bone medicine dot show. Hmm. Good, good to know. Um, thank you, thank you, Lola. Thank you so much, Amber. Really appreciated you having me. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, handmade herbal medicines, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, be sure to click the black banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, which magical herb is your spirit plant? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. 
If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. Um, there's some cool rewards there like exclusive content, free access to my herbal ebook and online course, and the ability to chat with me. I am a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding another project into my life with this podcast is a questionable move. But I'm also so excited about it and just praying that the Patreon will allow me the financial wiggle room to keep doing it. Another way that you can support, if that's not an option, is to head over to iTunes and subscribe and review the podcast. That would be super helpful. Thank you. And thank you to Marie Sue for providing the music that I use. That's Marie with two E's, S-I-O-U-X. This is from her song, Wild Eyes, one of my favorites. Uh, Check out Marie Sue. Beautiful music. Thank you, and I look forward to next time. Bye.